God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for a chance just to come together, Lord, as people, as children, as friends, as brothers, sisters, as those in need, those who are hurting, those who are, 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 are being killed. Lord, we, we know that each of us come into this place today um, just with a unique need. But we also know that all of our unique needs have one satisfied, have one remedy, and that's Jesus. And so as we come to your truth today, God, as we come to your word, let our hearts, our minds, our lives be open to you. God, I, I plead, Lord, that you, working as the Holy Spirit, Lord, would open our hearts and minds, would empower these words, would give life to them without the Holy Spirit, where there will be no transformation, no move, no change. So I confess that, I find comfort in that, and I just give you this time. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing teaching through Jonah uh, this week. We've got two more weeks following this in Jonah. We kicked it off last week. Just some quick, quick kind of recap, and we'll, and we'll recap along the way as well. Uh, but as we, as we started last week, we saw in Jonah, uh, we saw Jonah's great sin against God when he ran from God's command. Jonah was a prophet, and he ran from God. He rebelled. We saw God's great grace and that he pursued Jonah. And it doesn't sound like grace because when we saw what happened to Jonah last week, God pursued him to the point that Jonah ended up being thrown overboard into a tumultuous sea to the point where he was drowning. That doesn't sound like grace, but to think about it, it absolutely was because what is the most unkind thing that God could do for every one of us? That would be to let us go our own way. So by God's grace and his love, he, he pursued Jonah, the one that was running from him. Again, a holy, sovereign, majestic God has no reason, has no impulse or need to say, let me run down this, this vagabond, this rebel, this one who defied my command. He had every right to write him off and just go get the next prophet, but in his love, he pursued Jonah, and in his grace is now bringing him to this place where we find him this week. So we saw Jonah's great sin and his rebellion. We saw God's great grace and that he chased him down and to the point of, of throwing him overboard into a tumultuous sea to his impending death. So we continue these two themes today as we talked about last week, these two great themes of sin and grace, these tangible pictures over and over again through the book of Jonah. We continue in them, we continue them today. So today as we move into chapter 2, We'll see, hopefully we'll see the impact of sin as we see that Jonah sin, and we're going to see the impact of sin. We're going to see the importance of understanding that we are indeed <coughs> sinners. We are. We're going to see the importance of why we must embrace that and why that's, that's a wonderful thing to acknowledge. I mean, we're, we're sitting with our five and four-year-olds at dinner just working to try to get them to admit that they're sinners. If we can get them to embrace that and understand that now, it sounds weird. I'm sure it sounds weird to the world. And just even sitting here, I like to say, Gavin, do you know that you're a sinner? And for him, for us, and him to say no, and me to say, yes, you are. You're a sinner. You stole a car from your teacher's class this week. You're a sinner. And, you know, and like it sounds wrong. Like you don't, that's like messing up your kid's conscience. But the kindest thing we could do for our kids for the long run, again, in their journey to faith, is for them to understand that they are a sinner, and they are a sinner in need of grace. So hopefully we'll understand the impact of our sin, the importance of understanding that we are all sinners, and the wonderful gift of grace that brings us to that realization and the response and the fruit thereof. 
So with that, let's get right to our text. Turn in your Bibles, flip to your phones, whatever you have, to Jonah. We're going to actually pick up the last verse of chapter 1, uh, 117. We also use uh, the, the Version Bible app. We have a live event there that's got some, it's got the scripture you need as well as a place to take notes, as well as some other thoughts for reflection. So just a resource for you as well. You can go into the More tab, events will pop up because of GPS. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, feel free to take one of these underneath you. That's our gift to you. So Jonah, it's a small book. If you don't know where it's at, please use the table of contents because you will skip around it all day long and never find it. It's like two pages long. Four chapters and two pages, your kind of book. So if you want to say you've read a book of the Bible today, go read the book of Jonah. And it's not just one chapter, it's four chapters, so you can feel like you achieved something. All right, so give me a second to get there. Well, while you're getting there, I'll give you a little bit of little tidbit of trivia here. In the Hebrew text, uh, Jonah 117, in the Hebrew Bible, Jonah 117 is actually part of chapter 2. In our English translations, for whatever reason, they separated it out into a different chapter. So there you go. So it actually makes sense that we're including it as one thought. So no further ado, let's read Jonah 117 through all of chapter 2. So here we go. Jonah was just thrown overboard by the sailors who then offered worship to God because they understood him the one, to be the one true God of the Spirit. And Jonah's sinking down. He ends, up, uh, he ends up here, right here where we're at. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows pass over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Amen. So before we look at this text... Let's, let's answer this question. Why does sin and grace matter so much? The short answer, just to give it all away, the short answer is because you cannot fully understand the gospel of Jesus without understanding sin and grace. Already kind of alluding to that in, in the intro. But let me give you a thesis. Let me give you a thesis for today and for our life. All of the problems, now I'm not saying all of the circumstances, I'm not saying all of the difficulties, but all of the problems that result from our sin come from one root. What is that root? We, like Jonah, don't believe the truth of God. That is the root that leads to all of our problems that stem from our sin, that we do not believe the truth of God. For Jonah, it was that God is a sovereign God, and in his sovereignty, 
He is, he is full of goodness and grace, and he is worthy of Jonah's obedience because his will is perfect. This is the truth that Jonah didn't believe. He forgot that the truth of God was delivered to him as the people of as a person of the people of Israel, so that as him being blessed, he could be a blessing to all of the earth. He had forgotten that. For us, it is the reality of the gospel. When we forget the truth of God, is that it is that we have forgotten the reality of the work of Christ in our lives. Do you remember what it was like before you made that confession as Jesus is Lord and Savior? And if you're sitting here, maybe you haven't made that confession. Listen to what we have today. But if you have forgotten does our, our, our rebellion, our apathy, just any of our sin has to make sense. And it can't make sense otherwise unless it can be that we have forgotten the truth of the gospel, the work of Christ. When we don't believe the fullness of the work of Christ, we take our righteousness into our hands. The righteousness that we long for, the right standing, the rightness that we long for, all of a sudden becomes a work of our own hands. This leads to the futile efforts of our own strength, which we all know. It results in this, in this, just this cycle of, of, of success for a little bit, maybe a week, a month, a year, whatever, and then we ultimately end back in the same pit. And we, that's the work of our hands. Whenever we turn away from the truth of the gospel, we turn to the work of our hands. This insane cycle is only the fruit of the disbelief. So that when we say, it sounds nicer to us, like it feels kinder to say forgetting, but it, it's truly disbelief. It's just disbelieving the gospel of Jesus. So when we disbelieve, we just repeat this insane cycle of working, white-knuckling it, just putting our nose to the grindstone, and then all of a sudden finding ourselves back in the pit in our disbelief. This is why Jesus answered the Pharisees that when he was asked the question of, in, in uh, John 6, 29, he was asked, what must be done to, be, to do the work of God? This was Jesus' answer in John 6, 29. It says, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So the believing in Jesus, not just, not just that some guy named Jesus came and walked the earth and died one day, but the full work achieved in Christ. And we'll talk more about that in a second. It is only in believing the truth of the gospel of Jesus that our hearts are pierced and any true, lasting transformation comes. You see, what is that truth? God created, created all perfectly in relationship with him. We rebelled in our sin and were cast out. God, in his love, sent Jesus to die to die as the spotless lamb, taking on our wrath and giving us his right standing. And that right standing is both relationally and judicially. So relationally is that we are brought back into the family of God. Again, adopted as sons and daughters, sinners made saints. Judicially 
is that we could stand before God and no longer be found guilty due to his wrath, but we could be found innocent due to the inheritance of Jesus and his grace. That's, man, when our hearts are pierced by that, when our lives are pierced by that, that's true change. So our understanding of the gospel of Jesus is at the center of all our joy, but when it's not there, our despair in the midst of our lives. So Jonah's circumstance is directly a response to denying the truth of God, as we already said. But let me give you a word picture real quick, just kind of what we think of what we hope happens with the gospel. Now, if you've grown up in the church, this is especially true of you. And, and all of us have pieces of this because we've all heard concepts through our whole life. But if you've grown up in the church, you've got all the information. You've heard it. The pieces are there. So here's the word picture. I am a science geek. I love educational TV. Like, I, I, I have this weird addiction to, like, just educational videos. Like, I, I, I want to watch how, like, stuff I have no relation to. Like, I, I went to this kid of watching, like, giant machine mills. Like, if you've ever seen, like, a table leg being turned on a lathe, that's cool. But when you see this hardened still being turned by these giant machines and it's just being filled away like butter, it's amazing. Like, I just eat that stuff up. How does that relate? Really well, I love science. Mr. Wizard was my favorite, like one of my favorite shows growing up. And he was this guy that would, you know, he'd do all these experiments. And there was this one where he had this container. And I saw this in my science class in high school as well. But you put tennis balls in the container, and you fill it up to the top, this round container, and, and it says, is it full? Well, yeah, it's filled to the top. No more room for tennis balls. Okay, take some marbles. Pull, pours marbles in. <coughs> marbles go in, and they fill the gaps. Is it full? Oh, yeah, now it's full. I see what you're doing. Now it's full. Oh, okay, well, hold on a second. Take some sand. Pour sand in there. Sand just trickles down and fills in all the gaps. And I'm like, it is really full now. Like, there's no way. I fill to the top. The sand is sprinkling over a little bit. Is it full? Absolutely. And then, what's next? Water. water. Takes water. And, and you're like, you're going to get like three drops in there. And pours like a liter of water in. And you're like, how does that happen? But there's all these little spaces. I mean, if you've grown up around the church, or just if you've grown up thinking about anything at all, and you've, you've, heard, you've heard information. We don't want to let the gospel sit up here. Because as you're filling this up, what do you do? You shake the container to settle it down deeper. All the pieces, each time you shake it and you get more. And then even in the water, you shake it and it unsettles the pieces that have settled. And it makes, room more, it makes more room for, this, for, this, for you know, this other material. So for us today, I pray that the, these things that we've heard all of our life that are filling up our container, that the gospel would come and we would be shaken up and that the gospel would permeate every bit of our being. That the reality of who Christ is, of what he's done in our lives, of why he came into this world to reconcile a wayward people to a loving father. That all of a sudden that would trickle down and just fill every bit from our head to our toes that there would be no room left other than the reality of Christ, what he's done for you, what he's done for me, and who we are in him. It starts with the recognition of sin and our need for him, and it goes to the full extent of the love of God expressed in sending his one and only son to die the atoning death. That's the word picture for today. Man, allow yourself to be shaken up and even shake yourself up. Wake yourself up. 
We talked about last week, Jonah, like, awake, O sleeper. Don't try to sleep the day away, escaping the call of the day, escaping the reality of what you need to face. Awake, O sleeper, shake yourself up. Let the questions dig deep. Let them be real. Ask them. You can, I tell you, the word, the truth of God will hold up to any question you have. I promise you, don't be afraid to ask. It will hold up. If you don't, if you don't, you will be a slave to your circumstances the rest of your life. Your circumstances will be your hope. Your circumstances will be your peace. Your circumstances will be your downfall. You will be a slave to them. So, now, we come to Jonah. He's in a pit. I want you to think about a pit that you've been in or are in. We've all been in them. And I know many of us are in a pit right now. I am in a pit right now. I am in a pit of my own making. Because of my own disbelief. I have fear and anxiety over so many things that's only there because of my disbelief. And so right now, think of a pit. Let's join Jonah. He's in a pit. Whatever that pit may be today or when you've faced in the past. When we think of these pits, why? Why are the circumstances overwhelming? What is it that makes us want to escape down below and sleep away? Sleep away the, the fear and the reality. What is so overwhelming about our circumstances? Is it because we have made some idol of that moment? <laughs> is it have we made an idol of what we believe are our source of rescue or peace or refuge of strength to be? I say that in a question, but I guarantee you that is a statement. We are overwhelmed in our circumstances because we've made idols, because we have determined that our peace is in what we have and what we have attained and who we have around us, as opposed to, again, the work of Christ and who we are in Him. Because when the foundation is Jesus, all of a sudden you have a new identity. Again, a child of God. Let's just say, I mean, we can't say this enough. We cannot forget this. We are a child of God, rescued and fully adopted. If that is the truth, the circumstances we will we will circumstances will continue <coughs> sickness comes death comes economy changes that's not the promise that we've been given the easy life is not the promise I mean who, I think Jesus experienced the promises better than any of us and his obedient faithful life led to the cross and so <coughs> circumstances will come there is a joy and a peace in the midst of any circumstances when we don't have false idols. We have to remember the gospel of Jesus. So today, as we look at Jonah, let's look for the impact of the truth of God in Jonah's life, you know, in, in his, which culminates in the full gospel of Jesus. When we think about the truth of God, Jonah didn't use the word gospel back then. 
right? Jesus hadn't come yet, but the truth of God, the trajectory of God's redeeming work was always moving to Jesus. So I don't want to confuse the two, but they are inseparable at the same time. So the impact of, of, of the truth of God in Jonah's life, we want to make sure to see this and see if all of the big truths we have heard, we want to see that those truths washing over us like that water until we are overrun and saturated with that promise and that hope and that new identity. So we come back to our text. Jonah 1.17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Quickly, we mentioned it last week, but in case you weren't here, the fish is not the point of the story, okay? If the fish is distracting to you, I've heard it said so many times in conversations with, with cynics and seekers and sojourners that, man, I, you know, it sounds good, but I just can't get past these couple of things. And they point out Jonah and the well. They point out the parting of the Red Sea. They point out the, the ark and, like, I mean, how could they really get two of every kind of animal on the ark and know that that was all the animals there were? And like, what about the places that were farther away? Like all these peripheral things. And those are great questions. Those are good, honest questions. And we can talk about those, but we can never make them be the main thing. Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says, while it is commendable that we should carefully examine the authenticity of such tells, there are reasons for caution as we do so. The most important is, of course, that too much discussion about the great fish can divert us from the real issue. The narrative is not really about the fish at all. The fish only has a walk-on part in this gripping drama. Focus on the great fish and we may lose sight of the great God. So as I said last week, we can spend time looking at all these recorded cases of different things that make, you know, different things of being eaten by fishes in order to kind of give us confidence in this text. But I think there's a better way. Matthew 12, 38 through 40 says this. It says, And some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Notice, he goes from here. He doesn't put any caveat in here. Now, I know this is allegorical or it was just a story we were told, but it paints a good picture. He just goes straight from there to saying this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So, here is why, again, I said it last week, but I'm going to say it again. Because Jesus says it happened, I say it happens. And if your problem, if you have a problem with this text, let me just lovingly tell you, your problem is not with the fish, your problem is with Jesus. Because what Jesus is saying here is like, hey, I am making a claim that it, that it takes even greater faith. I came born of a born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He did a, he did miracle upon miracle. He was resurrected from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." He said, "So if you can believe in me, that is all it takes." This other that's just so Jesus pointed to it. We don't need to look at the fish as an evidence. We need to look to Jesus as our evidence. Let Jesus be the stumbling block, not the fish. Again, I know it takes faith to acknowledge all these things to be true of Jesus. It takes a work of God in you to acknowledge this. But man, as Psalm says, and we're all starting to say, let's just keep it, Jesus, amen to that. You know, like, hey, this is where it's at. Now, again, let's be honest, let's ask our questions, but man, let's, let's take each other to Jesus. We have to get to Jesus. I, I did a mission trip to Italy back in 05, and I, I just remember, you know, we were asking questions of how do we, how do we, 
approach and, and, and have conversations with these people that have a, a, a rich tradition of religiosity as Catholics. And, and it's such a part of their identity and who they are. And they said, don't worry about any of that. Just give them to Jesus. I think about Don Willard's opening story in Blue Like Jazz, and he's talking about walking down the streets in Portland, I think, and sees this jazz musician on the sidewalk playing some jazz. And he said, up to that moment, I could, I never liked jazz before. I never gave it a chance, never liked it. But as I watched this, this man play, and watched him play jazz, I watched him love jazz. So all of a sudden, I had this affection for jazz. And he said, I guess I just had to see someone love it first. So again, let's just get into Jesus. Let's let them experience the miraculous work of Christ, the, again, God's heart expressed in him, and let them see it in you, the fruit in you. Let's get into Jesus. Okay. So for real, now we're going to get to Jonah. We're going to let, again, moving fast. This is, it's, it's different to teach narrative. It's very different. So I think if you've been in the British wall and you're used to those teaching verse by verse, you get nervous because you're pacing and you're like, we've got 10 more verses to go. But it, it, it's just different. So just hang on. This is good. It's going to land quickly. So Jonah's been running. He's been rebelling. He's been sinning. And now he finds himself in this pit of his own making, the pit of his own sin. We were just told that he was... He was sinking down, and he was going to drown, but then God sends this fish. God sends this fish to eat Jonah so that he could live. I mean, like, I just went through this, like, thing today. Of, like, it just kind of, like, reminded me of, like, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Like, Joseph's, Joseph's running from God. Jonah's running from God because he's afraid. Then the storm comes, and he goes to sleep and cope. Then the sailors come, and they're like, hey, he's like, man, this, it's over. Just throw me overboard. That's all there is. So he's like, death. Death is good. I'll, I'll take that. So throw me overboard. He's in the water. Now he's sinking down. Like, okay, surely this is it. I'm almost dead. He's like, you, you know, we're here in a second. And, and all of a sudden, this fish is like, really? A fish now? Like, you know, the fish eats some of the knees in the fish. And so and, and surely when you get eaten by a fish, you think this has to be it. But then to go through whatever it takes, I don't know what kind of fish it was or the anatomy of it. So who knows what the digestive system was. But he ended up in his belly. Maybe it was a direct line. I don't know. But he ended up in his belly. And imagine, like, just the moment of, like, reconciling what happened. Like, he's sitting there, and he's like, it's dark. I don't know if he's, like, you know, sitting like this or he's cramped up like, like a baby in a womb or something. I don't know. But whatever it is, he's in there. You, you know it's dark. There's no light in there. You know, everything just is weird. I mean, he's, he's just kind of sitting there. Let's look at what happens next, getting into 2-1. Oh, this is crazy. So, he says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now, that word then is not just some linear transition to get us to the next thought. That's also telling us that this is in response to what had happened. And notice what it said. Then Jonah prayed, so he got eaten by a fish, and he was in the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed. Like, how in the heck did it take him three days to start praying? Like, it's just unbelievable. But he, three days and three nights, then Jonah prayed. What in that, what was going on? What was happening? What was Jonah doing in these three days, in these three nights? What was happening this whole time? Again, like, he's in the dark. He's hearing the muffled sounds of the water. I mean, who knows if the fish was making sounds? And he just kind of feels the fish swaying around in the water. Swimming, he doesn't know where he's at. The one point he was on his way to Tarshish, but who knows where the fish is going? Who knows what the next day holds? 
Let's read the prayer again to find out what was happening in these three days. As we read the prayer, look for words that speak to the pit that Jonah is in. So his prayer says, starting in verse 2, it says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. <coughs> oh, Lord, my God. Jonah spent three days and night in this disorienting dark at the belly of the fish, and all of that time, all he had to think about was how he ended up there. The events that transpired to put him in that place. Again, Jonah was a Hebrew, an Israelite, a people of promise. People of Israel, the people that the covenant of God had come to that said, I am your God, you will be my people, I will bless you, and through you you will be a blessing to the entire world. He was a prophet of God, one charged with speaking the truth of God to a people that he needed to hear it. And he had done it well enough that he hadn't been stoned yet. To get it wrong one time as a prophet, he get stoned. So he had heard from God and spoke the truth of God. This is where he came from. And all of a sudden, in his self-righteousness that we talked about, the great sin of his self-righteousness, his self-rightness, led him to run from the presence of God, led him to act against and rebel against the command of God in his own sin. And he ended up where he's at. He recognized the extent of his sin to the point that the grave seemed the only fitting place for him. Look at the words that he spoke in verse 2, Sheol, that's Hebrew word for grave. In verse 3, it says deep, I mean just this deep, this depths of the pit, the billows passed over Jonah. You just see this sinking of his reality again in verse 5. The deep comes up again. Speaking of that pit, the weeds wrapped around his head, the hopelessness of all that was there. Verse 6 talks about being at the very bottom, the roots of the mountain, just the ends of all the earth, as far low as you could go. He went down. It says, I went down and from the pit. So he was saying, at the bottom, at the very lowest I could go. You see this from the pit, and we'll get to what happens after that in just a second. But Jonah was brought low. Man, think of the wonder, the beauty of coming to the end of your self-rightness. Your self-rightness. Again, because when you're not doing your self-rightness, you have some left. And you keep working in your own, your own limited strength, your own finite understanding, and you only find the fuel for your the fuel fruit. So he was confronted with the reality of his sin against a holy God. Why is this so important? This is why it is only in tasting the full extent of the bad that you can fully experience the grace lavished upon you in Christ. I had a conversation this week with someone saying they, they, that they never had the motivation to share their faith. And I was like, have you ever tasted the goodness of the gospel? Do you need any other motivation than your great need. Do you need any more? Like, we can, if there's any other motivation other than that, I mean, it's probably more like just trying to get people on your team or some other false thing. But if it's remembering your great need and the goodness of God and the glory of the Father, 
So have you tasted? Have you tasted the depths of your need? The shortness of your self-righteousness and the riches of God's grace achieved in Christ for you where His rightness is now yours. It is only in fully understanding the, the hurt, the bad, that we can truly experience the grace of God lavished on us in Christ. Look at Jonah's response to the goodness of God in, in verses 4 through 9. So kind of, kind of rereading some of this. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. It's starting to happen. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, when I had nothing left, when there was nothing, no hope left for me, I remembered. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but... I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What a glorious transition. Why do y'all think he mentioned the temple in chapter 4, in verse 4 and verse 7? Thinking about the time, the temple, the temple is where the presence of God dwelled. It's where the sacrifices were made, and it's where the law of God was held. The law, the, ten, the, the, the tablets were held in the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. They would offer sacrifices there to atone for the people that they represented, and the presence of God dwelled in the Holy of Holies in the temple. So this temple is the place where the wrath of God and His grace come together. I said the law and the ark, the atoning sacrifices and his presence for the people. Do you understand that there is no fellowship, no relationship with God without the law? And what does that mean? Because I thought it was through Jesus. Well, the law brings us to Jesus. If you remember, he says, I came. Jesus fulfilled the law. He lived it perfectly. He taught it perfectly. And he satisfied it fully. The law was given to show the people of Israel how to walk blamelessly before God and all of creation. The law was to show them how to live out who they were as God's set-apart people. Do we understand that? Do we understand the difference of that? It's not just a way of life to attain that position. You, he is saying, you, my people, have this position as my set-apart ones for my holy purpose. Here is this law so that you know how to walk blameless before me. So there is a right standard. But Jonah's sin and ours was that instead of leaning into God's law and his truth, we lean on our self-rightness. The law shows us how to live God's rightness, which we all fall short of. The sacrifices satisfy the wrath of God against his people, and his presence dwells with his people. Jonah sees the beauty and grace and knows that it is those things that restore him. Do you understand that in Christ, the wrath and the grace all come together? We'll come back to that in just one second. So right there, in the belly of the fish, without any circumstances changing or any promise of them being changed, Jonah's heart was changed. His perspective was changed. Did you notice what happened? Jonah was shaken in the truth of God sifted into his entire being and saturated him. 
Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, what is he thankful for? He's in the belly of the fish still. It has to go beyond circumstances. Will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah was thankful and satisfied with the person of God and his truth. The promise of grace in the gospel of Jesus is not that there would not be any strife in this world, because there will be. Does your hope reflect that? When are you joyful? When are you grateful? When do you live sacrificially? When are you intentional with your life and your time and all of your resources? When are you missional? When are you purposeful for the will of God in your life? Is it only when your circumstances are good? Is it only when it all lines up just right? Or is it come what may? Christ is on the throne. I am his child. And he has given me his right standing and his purpose. Like I said, we talked about the wrath and grace of God in the temple and that, and that Jesus is this coming together of the wrath and grace. Jesus is the lion and the lamb. His truth proclaims the righteous judgment deserved in a sacrifice secured our grace and our salvation. He must be our hope, not our circumstances. Who we are in Him must be our hope, not our circumstances. So let's be reminded of one more thing. The main one of the main motivations of God's work in Jonah's life and our lives in Christ. Verse 10 says this, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You know where the fish fallen him out is right where he started and right back to where God originally commanded him to go to Nineveh. God was working all that he was in Jonah for his glory, for Jonah's personal repentance and restoration, but then also for that proclamation of repentance to be brought to the people of Nineveh, the enemies of God, the enemies of the people of promise. So God's purpose was wrapped up and this people of need to hear the truth of God. So as we encounter the truth and grace of God and find deliverance, our response must be to run to a world who needs to hear the truth of God and know his love given in Jesus. It is not just for you. It is not just for us in this room to keep to ourselves as a safe, you know, holy huddle. We gather together to strengthen one another in truth, to minister the gospel to one another, to care for one another, but then I mean, I pray that we are we are totally committed to sending each other out, compelling each other to good works, to calling each other alongside us, saying, hey, I'm going, come with me. Hey, where are you going? I'll go with you. Let's take this love of Christ to the world. Let's shape ourselves up and the world up that the truth of the gospel would permeate all there is and saturate and bring change. So we must know sin so that we can know the goodness of the grace. And as God has ministered his grace to us, it must result in us going to the world with the love and truth of Christ. Let's pray. God, man, I thank you for your grace. In your grace, you do not let us go our own way. In your grace, you pricked our conscience. In our grace, in your grace, you chastise 
us to the point that we find ourselves in the pit on our knees where we have nothing left of our self-rightness. All we have left is to turn to you. To see your love given in Christ. To see your justice satisfied in his atoning sacrifice. Lord, let us remember that. Let us preach the gospel to ourselves every day before we ever try to preach to anyone else. But then let us wholeheartedly proclaim the gospel of Jesus in this world, knowing that he is the only hope. Lord, as we encounter all kinds of questions, God, all kinds of reasons to not believe, let us lovingly listen with great patience and long-suffering, but let us courageously, lovingly point to Jesus, bring people to Jesus, for he is our hope. God, as you worked in Jonah, as he was in the worst of worst circumstances with no promise of them changing, let us respond with that same kind of faith, not requiring that you make it better for us in this life, in this world, but Lord, being satisfied in you, just by you, God. So God, we give you our hearts, we give you our lives, let us respond in Jesus' name, amen.